Welcome to CoreLogic REIP Market Insights with Tim Lawless. I'm your host, Sadna Smiles. This is where you will get the most up-to-date information on what is happening across the country in the property market. Our data is underpinned by CoreLogic. Tim Lawless is the leading expert on the real estate market, and REIP is a collective of real estate industry leaders committed to uniting and empowering the industry and our clients. Please enjoy this month's Market Insights. Hello and welcome to CoreLogic REIP Market Insights. With me is Tim Lawless, who is the Head of Research at CoreLogic. Tim, how are you? I'm really well. Thanks, Sardner. Just on the last day of lockdown at the moment. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to, to getting out and about again. And you got caught up. You couldn't go on your holidays because you got caught up in the lockdowns, which is a shame. Yeah, yeah I was supposed to be going to Western Australia. And because I had travelled to Sydney, uh, uh, I'd have to go into quarantine, unfortunately. So, yeah, at the last minute we cancelled that and we headed up to Port Douglas, so stayed in Queensland, which, which made it a bit more doable. Yeah, that's nice. Now, who would have predicted, right? I mean, we here we are end of financial year and there's so much uncertainty in Australia at the moment, particularly with all the lockdowns, longer ones, shorter ones. Um, you've got state premiers battling with the federal government and the federal government battling with them in return. It's actually quite amusing to watch. But there's been so much uncertainty. Who would have predicted that the Australian dwelling values would finish the fin year on a 13.5% high? Um, however, according to your reports, we are starting to see a loss of momentum around this. Yeah, so that, that, that annual uh, figure of 13.5% growth over the year, obviously that includes about a three-month period where values were still falling, uh, mostly due to the fact that Melbourne was still in lockdown through to October. Sydney was still a pretty soft market up until then as well. So the reality is we've had nine months of growth, three months of decline. But uh, um, through that early part of the rebound, we absolutely saw housing markets accelerating very fast in terms of the rate of growth. The more recent trend, though, seems to be some deceleration. We're seeing the market lose a little bit of momentum, which isn't really all that surprising when you consider incomes aren't really rising all that much and housing values are rising still at nearly 2% month on month. If you look at the annual rate of income growth for households, it's around 1.5% per annum. So we're seeing housing values rising at more than income growth uh, monthly. So it's um, uh, uh, monthly rather than, than say the annual figure for incomes. So it, it, we're really starting to see some sectors of the marketplace getting priced out. And of course, getting your foot in the door uh, raising your deposit, funding your transactional costs seems to be the hardest part of participating in the marketplace at the moment. And that was always going to happen, wasn't it? We, when we've talked many times about at some point, the affordability issue was going to temper the market. And, and that was done, that clearly happened. Yeah, it's, it's no surprise. And this is something that we've been, I guess, anticipating was that the, that the pace of gains just couldn't be sustained. It was too strong. In fact, in March, we're seeing nationally housing values are rising at nearly 3% month on month. And we've seen that growth rate uh, gradually phasing down to something that's still way above average at 1.9% last month is still a really strong figure. It's, uh, but clearly not quite as strong as what we're seeing in the first quarter of this year. And my guess is we'll continue to see the pace of capital gains fading through the second half of 2021 simply due to affordability constraints. Mm. Now, the growth has mostly been led by houses rather than units. Is that because most people are sort of moving out 
the, the lockdowns have caused people to switch off from units? Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. There's definitely been a, a preference shift away from anything that's uh, higher density. And uh, people are looking for a bit more space, uh, particularly uh, if you're working from home, a lot of people looking for an extra bedroom or a home office. And also, I think just in a global pandemic, people have less uh, willingness to live in a high density situation with a lot of shared amenity. So I think there's a few things flowing into that, as well as the fact that people can work remotely or some industry sectors can work remotely, which means that distance barrier, um, it's always been, I guess, one of the blockers for buying a detached house a long way from where they work. That's no longer as much of a barrier either. So I think there's a bunch of things that are conspiring to push house prices up more than unit values. But the flip side here is that that affordability challenge that we've been talking about is now becoming you know, most apparent in detached housing markets. In fact, across each one of the major capitals, house values are more than 50% higher than unit values. Normally that pricing gap is more like about 30%. So I think uh, simply as people can't afford to buy a detached house, it makes sense we'll start to see more demand deflecting back into maybe the medium density sector. Yeah. Um, now capital cities versus regional, how did they perform for, for June? Well, the gap has really narrowed. Uh, if you recall early in this growth phase, we were seeing a big difference between regional performance, which was much stronger than capital city markets. The last few months, there's been hardly any difference at all. In fact, there's been a couple of months where we've seen the capital cities outperforming the regionals. So uh, in, uh, in June, we saw regional housing values uh, were up by 2%. Capital city markets were up 1.9%. So very little difference from month to month at the moment. And again, I think this is probably reflecting just the fact that the regional, regional markets did see such a strong start to this growth phase. They've eroded their affordability proposition to some extent, but also I think as more people start working from work again, maybe that, that regional um, uh, preference shift is just starting to lose some of its uh, popularity as, as people realize that uh, they, they might need to work more from uh, the office than what they might've uh, originally thought. Yeah, we, and we're starting to see that, I mean, I'm from Melbourne, we're starting to see that in Melbourne where a lot of the um, inner in city, you know, corporate businesses are now starting to say, you know, it's, it's time to come back. We've got all these empty buildings, no, no one occupying them. Plus from a cultural perspective and a, and a business operations perspective and a connection perspective, it's, it's become critical to bring people back in. Yeah, I think we'll, we'll gradually find, uh, you know, a balance between working from home and working from the office. You know, I think this is going to be one of the legacies of COVID is there probably will be more remote working than what we were seeing prior to COVID. Um, we've got the technology, you know, it seems to have been proven up that uh, there is some productivity improvements. But as you say, there's a lot of benefits to, to being in the office as well. I know some people talk about the four-day week team. I'm all for that. I, I'm going to start barraging for that one. Now, advertising um, stock remains at 24.4% below the five-year average which I find fascinating given the market's done what it's done, yet we still have low stock on the market. Yeah, it's amazing. And, uh, you know, I keep waiting for this trend to start to normalise. And uh, we have seen a real rise in the number of new listings coming on the market. They're actually we're seeing more new stock and new fresh listings hitting the marketplace than average. In fact, it's up by about 15% or so uh, at a fairly uh, macro level. But because we are seeing so many buyers out there, so many transactions, 
we are seeing more buyer demand than what supply is being added to the market, which is keeping that overall inventory level very low. As you say, it's around 20 to 25% below average um, nationally. It varies uh, a little from region to region. Melbourne, for example, is only 2% below average. Whereas if you go to somewhere like Hobart, it's, uh, it's more than 30% below average. So uh, we are seeing a lot of variability. But I think if, if I'm right, and we do start seeing this uh, gradual fade in demand due to affordability constraints, maybe some uh, um, credit controls coming in a bit later on as well, chances are we'll start to see those total stock levels normalizing, not really due to a lot more new listings coming on the market, but probably more a demand side diminishment where we see uh, fewer buyers active in the marketplace and start to see listings rising. And what that means for buyers, of course, is they get a little bit more negotiation ability, uh, they lose a little bit of the urgency that uh, is so palpable in the marketplace at the moment as well. And the lockdowns don't help, do they? I mean, the, the stock fluctuation is slightly impacted by the various lockdowns across the country, people pulling things off the market or delaying the sale, et cetera. Yeah, we can see that most clearly in uh, in things like auction auction markets, for example. So each time there's a lockdown, we see a lot of auctions either getting withdrawn or getting postponed. We see a lot more auctions selling before the event rather than under the hammer as well. Uh, but I think I think it's fair to say that as, as we've gone through um, uh, you know, a number of these spot lockdowns or temporary lockdowns, it does seem that more and more vendors and buyers are becoming more used to that online auction environment. So we are still seeing clearance rates holding up around you know, the mid 70 to, to high 70% mark in Sydney, a little bit lower than that in Melbourne, generally around the, the low 70% uh, range, even getting into the high 60% range through some of the lockdowns due to the larger number of withdrawn um, auctions. So it does look like people are getting a bit more used to it, but, but as you say, you know, we haven't seen a lot of impact on values through the lockdowns, but there has been a lot of interruption in activity through the lockdowns, which then catches up once uh, the lockdowns are lifted. Mm. We're also starting to see a softer growth rate at the high end of the market. And is that, is that normally due to affordability and those prices have actually topped out? Yeah, it's an interesting one. And uh, if you recall through the worst of the, the COVID period last year, it was that top end of the marketplace that recorded the largest declines, whereas more affordable properties were a little bit more resilient. And then that top end of the market really started to surge as the, as the growth phase gathered, gathered momentum. And by far, it's that top quartile, the most expensive homes that are really leading the capital gains at the moment. But now we're starting to see that that's also the sector that's losing momentum the most noticeably as well. It's pretty normal for that top end of the marketplace to lead the cycles. Uh, generally, it's much more sensitive to changes in uh, the environment like monetary policy uh, or, or changes in, in credit policy, that type of thing. So it'll be interesting to see where it goes from here. You know, affordability constraints aren't solely confined to those lower price points where um, you know, first home buyers, for example, are more active. You'd have to argue that uh, with prices rising so quickly at the top end as well, then it's probably pushing some people down into the lower price point categories. Mm. Now, the rental market uh, growth, we're seeing strong growth in the rental market, but gross yields are starting to get compressed. Why is that happening? Yeah, it's a simple, uh, simple calculation of the fact that housing values are rising faster than rents, which compresses yields. And uh, we are seeing rents rising quite quickly now. There are some markets where yields aren't compressing, like Perth and Darwin, 
Now we're seeing Darwin rents rising at more than 20% per annum at the moment, quite spectacular. Coming out of a really long period where, where rents were quite weak, and we're still seeing rents in Darwin and Perth actually lower, despite the fact they're rising really quickly, they're lower than what they were back in 2007. So uh, yeah, a lot of catch up in those markets, despite the really rapid rental appreciation. At the other end of the spectrum, we are seeing some of those um, inner city apartment markets still relatively weak, but the recent uh, trend has clearly been that rental listings have come down, particularly in Sydney's inner city apartment market. They're now below average. Melbourne's uh, getting close to the average mark. It does look like a lot of these inner city high rise rental precincts are attracting some more rental demand, probably because they have seen rents come down so much. You know, in some of the Melbourne inner city precincts, rents are down more than 25%. So it probably is attracting some tenancy demand in from say the middle ring suburbs, maybe from some of the uh, um, surrounding areas where you can, your value goes a lot further, your dollar goes a lot further in some of those rental markets now than it would have say a year ago. Yeah, and particularly I think the, the sort of new millennial or younger generation are finding it if the, as the rents come down, they can actually move back into the inner city market, whereas right. they were being pushed out so far out uh, previously. Yeah, um, as the inner cities become more vibrant, I think it, it makes sense that uh, we'll start to see more tenancy demand coming into those areas, even without foreign students coming back into those markets, although I still think that's going to be the mainstay of tenancy demand in those inner city high-rise precincts. What's happening in the commercial market? Yeah, it's not something I, I follow really closely, to be honest. I'm more of a residential analyst, but uh, you know, the commercial market is just so fragmented. We're seeing at one end of the spectrum, uh, industrial, for example, is extremely strong. Warehousing is in demand, uh, probably due to all the home shopping that's going on and home deliveries. At the other end of the spectrum, you've got um, some of the retail premises, of course, have done it pretty tough. Uh, rents have come down, cap rates have come down as well, although it looks like that's starting to stabilise. Across the office market, it's probably a little bit harder to measure. A lot of people I'm speaking to are saying, you know, the premium grade office markets have actually held their value in the rents quite well. It's more the sort of the C and the D grade uh, office markets where there's been a flight to quality. And that seems to be where the tenancy demand has uh, fallen off more substantially than some of the premium uh, office buildings around um, the main CBD areas. Mm. So key headwinds for the property market um, that you can see, what, what do you think will, um, we need to look out for? Yeah, these are starting to change a little bit. A few months ago, it was all about you know, the fiscal cliff we we're moving through at the end of March, and that turned out to be not much at all. Uh, mortgage um, deferrals have mostly gone back into a repayment schedule. The unemployment rates come right down, underemployment's come right down, and we're already starting to see a lot of uh, the major economic houses uh, calling an interest rate hike much earlier than what the RBA has been suggesting. So I think that's probably the key headwind going forward will be either uh, an earlier lift in monetary policy than what the RBA has been uh, suggesting, or credit, uh, um, credit changes aimed at uh, slowing down the level of of credit activity, particularly in say some of the more, what, what the APRA would call riskier loan types like low deposit lending or high debt to income ratio lending. So I'm not sure which one will happen first or if, if either what will actually happen in, in the, the short to medium term, but probably looking at interest rates starting to lift now, maybe uh, late 2022, uh, 22, early 2023, 
is uh, what the, the, the mainstream economic community starts, um, is now calling. But also, you know, the, the potential for an APRA intervention, uh, tighter credit policies we know from previous events will probably have a fairly immediate uh, slowing effect on the marketplace as well if they're introduced. But at the moment, it doesn't look like there's any real major slippage in lending standards that uh, APRA is looking out for. So it doesn't look like um, either of those events are imminent just yet. No. Well, Tim, again, thank you for your time. Uh, let's hope the country starts to come out of lockdown over the next few weeks and we start to see borders open up and people able to travel again. Um, and I look forward to talking about what the market's going to be doing for in August. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to taking my, my mask off and yes. uh, I've just had my second uh, vaccination as well. So uh, I'm fully, fully vaccinated now. Which, ah, um, well done. I mean, it, people, it, it, it's um, difficult vaccinated. to... It's difficult to get a vaccination here in Melbourne at the moment. I've been trying for months to get myself into the Pfizer vaccine, but uh, you literally cannot get a booking in Melbourne. So well done to you. Very lucky. Crazy. Thanks, right. Sarah. See you next month. See you next month. Thank you for joining us. Please take a few moments to rate, review and subscribe to our podcast. Until next time, stay safe and stay connected.